Oh, you need to hear that one more time? <laughs> I see. You're going to put me on blast this morning. Happy Sabbath. So earlier this year, there's like a reason why it started out that way, I think, for dramatic effect. Earlier this year, January to be specific, I ended a 10-year relationship. It's a wonderful way to start a sermon, isn't it? Um, there was a lot of work that, that was going into it toward the end, and it just it wasn't worth it anymore. And so there's nothing like a breakup when that other part of the relationship stays in the family. It's weird. It's gross. I didn't like it. Maurice and I were finished in January of 2018. My car was just not doing it. For 10 years, I drove this car. 10 years. It was my first car. And it lasted me 10 years. And then toward the end of its life, because he's still alive. My parents use him. <laughs> toward the end, the amount of work and money and heartache that this was causing me meant that it was probably a smarter investment for me to just acquire a new vehicle. So I now have a new-to-me car. And this new-to-me car is, is still getting used to me, and I'm still getting used to it. Because there were things that 10 years of relationship get you that just don't happen automatically when you start a new one. For example, my 2005 Civic that I recently parted with, and it's like still in my heart, that's still my car. When I go visit my parents, I see it, and I'm like, oh, so cute. Maurice that had the pink Hello Kitty bow, you saw it, you saw it. I knew that when my light, my gas light turned on when I was driving Maurice, if it turned on in Loma Linda, I could still make it home. I could still drive around to the grocery stores. I can sit in a Starbucks drive through which would still probably take about 15 minutes, and then go get gas. And I would be fine. And I wouldn't even think twice, because my relationship with Maurice was such that I knew that he was going to pull through for me. And maybe this is why our relationship ended dramatically after 10 years. But I knew this. It was a very intimate relationship that we had, and I knew. I knew how far I could push him. I knew that he was going to get me where I needed to go. And so recently, I got into my new car, and my new-to-me car, and the gas light turned on. And so these new cars have like digital displays, and very quickly, an alert came on, and there wasn't anybody in the car that didn't know something was happening. And then it told me, low fuel. So the cool thing about this car is you can push a button and it'll tell you how many miles until you're actually empty. So as I'm looking at my gauge, fake gauge, it's just a digital screen, right? As I'm looking at this gauge, it says 25 miles to go. And I'm like, okay, we haven't done this enough times for me to know if 
highway miles will get me that far, if my street city driving will get me 25 miles, how many combinations of this can I, can I make? And this is my version of living on the edge, friends. This is my version of living on the edge. Sorry, Chip. I won't jump out of plane. So I, I just go, okay, well, we're going to drive a few, a little round. And from 25, it went to 19 real quick. A few more, a few more cylinders, a few m bigger body taking up more. I was like, oh, turn off the air, right? Because you know that's going to make a difference. I don't know yet how far I can push this car. How, how many fumes I can be running on to feel comfortable before I can, I can just say like, oh, this gaslight, this will get me from home to wherever. It's a relationship, you gotta build it, you gotta know. How far you can push it, how far you can let it push you. How far do we push ourselves before we recognize that our fuel needs to come from somewhere else? How far do we push ourselves before we recognize that our fuel needs to come from someone else? Today, my friends, we are talking about Jesus. And by the, I know we've been working on this in this community, but we say we're going to be talking about Jesus and y'all are looking at me. Like, you came to church today. Did you expect to talk about anything other than Jesus? No, you shouldn't have. Shame on you if you didn't. And if you came here thinking, I'm going to talk about Jesus, and I'm not excited about it, then shame on you once more. And I'm not here to shame you, so I'm going to give you one more time. Today, it is the Sabbath, and we are going to talk about Jesus. Amen. Amen. There we go. Because if you aren't that excited when you come to church or any space to talk about Jesus, then there isn't something wrong with Jesus. There's something wrong with us. It's hard to figure out how to give things over to God. We come into this space and we say, trust God. What does that mean? What does it mean to trust God, to surrender everything to him? It's hard. Does it mean I say it, that I give lip service to it? Do I? Yeah, because we have to start there. We have to start convincing ourselves that we are going to relinquish control. It's hard to recognize that God is always present in our life that he will be there through whatever circumstances that we encounter. It's hard to recognize God's provision when you've worked really hard to get where you're going. It's the end of the school year, summer's approaching, graduates are being celebrated. We're all in that crazy state of mind. Now starts picking up graduation season. The educators in our community, I know you're looking for that time, that little bit of R&R once summer happens. I know seniors, college graduates, that time where you say, I just got to push through, and then the end is in sight. That diploma is coming my way. My calendar is stacked between 
now and to the end of 2018. And so it doesn't need to be graduation season for each and every one of us to be experiencing busyness, because that is the new sitting, right? Or the new smoking, being busy and being tired. We don't need to be in graduation season. We don't need to be waiting for our summer plans to recognize that life is happening all around us. Some of us are sitting in these pews, broken and terrified. What's next? Some of us are sitting in these pews, anxious and excited. What's next? A month ago, I was sitting around a table on a Sabbath afternoon, and we were asking each other what we could pray about. I was like, please help me to gain my courage, help me to gain my strength, my peace, and my confidence that I can keep moving forward. This year is already set for me. A few times this week, my body told me no. It was like, when was the last time you felt like you wanted to throw up? Because now, it's now. When was the last time you had a headache where you couldn't keep the lights on. Oh, that's now. Now, remember what this feels like? Each and every one of us are going through life. No matter what season, summer, school's ending, what have you, life is happening all around us. And it was my time spent in scripture. It was my time sermon prepping, because there's nothing like sermon prep when you know you gotta get up here and deliver a word that's gonna take you back to some things that you need to know. And so today, my friends, we open our Bibles and I invite you into your smart devices or the Bible book that's in front of you, into John chapter six. The Gospel of John is talking about Jesus's ministry. We've already seen Jesus perform a few miracles. And right now we come to the one miracle that's in every gospel. Jesus feeding the multitude. John chapter 6 verse 2, a large crowd kept following him, Jesus, because they had seen the signs he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, sat down, and there were his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival for the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Man, can you imagine being Philip? That's like when my mom says to me, and she already knows the answer, like, did you clean your room? And you're like, mm, and you shrink just a little bit, right? It's like, they already know the answer, and you know they know the answer, and you're like, nothing I can say is good enough in this moment. Like, did you finish your chores? Is your homework done? Did you do this before we said we were going to, Philip answered him, six months' wages would not be enough to buy bread for each, for each of them. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in this place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. 
And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told the disciples, go gather up the fragments that are left over so nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from those fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. 12, a number in scripture that we know that represents all all people. There were 12 tribes in the beginning representing our people, our history. And so to have 12 baskets full means that God has enough to feed more than just the multitude. Jesus physically has enough right now to feed all. And that's it. All. We come later on in this story after the next day. These people are continuing to look for Jesus. And in verse 25 of chapter 6, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So we just read this story as Jesus feeds the multitude, and John makes note that it is Passover. Not just so that we can have some helpful timing of when this happened. It's like, oh, I know the historical value here. During Passover, this is the time where the Israelites are celebrating their most treasured festival. They have been delivered from bondage and slavery, and so they, they celebrate at Passover. Jesus, who was then about to feed them, once again, being their deliverer, being their sustainer, being the food that they need. This is the highlight of the spiritual history of God giving them manna. And now he is about to do this miracle right in front of them. Five loaves, two fish, 12 baskets, everybody has enough when Jesus is around. Because if I skipped over this one part in verse 15, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he withdrew. This is the moment they figured out who Jesus was. He is somebody powerful. He is somebody special. He can change things for us. Amen? Amen. But why would Jesus then leave? Because Jesus knows at that point, and this is the changing point in the story of John, when they recognize the power that he holds, and then it turns into the rejection after he proclaims his identity. And even though we're jumping around, let's pick up in verse 29. Jesus answers the people. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. He jumped down to 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. He had just fed them. And when they find him the next day, he claims these truths. 
he reminds them of that exact deliverance that they got. Passover manna. Here, loaves, fish, and enough for all. This is the kind of Jesus that we encounter when we open this book. The kind that says, I will give you sustenance. The kind that says, I will always have enough provision for you. Sometimes, though, I wonder whether or not we are the people, like in verse 15, when we realize what Jesus can do for us, and we get excited, and we want to say, we put Jesus here, because on the outside, that looks really good. Like, there's nothing wrong with ever choosing Jesus. But are we really choosing Jesus when we do that? I have read a... a um, a commentary that goes and responds to this experience in this way. That we would respond to Jesus because he gives bread of life and because he fills us. Not because we respond to Jesus as the bread. We are constantly looking after the things that Jesus can do for us and forgetting who Jesus is in and of himself. Where do you put Jesus in your life? What are you doing at this moment to sustain yourself? Does it start and end with Jesus? We know that your relationships with others aren't fruitful because of what somebody does for you. It is because of who you are and who they are and that magic that happens when two come together. Yeah, it's nice when things come. Thank you for giving me this gift. Thank you for spending this time with me. But it is not because you do that that I am your friend. It is because of who you are that I want that. Your parents, who if they have loved you and given you food on your table as you have grown up and you have a loving relationship with them, you don't love them because of those things that they did for you. Yes, those are nice. And yes, we should be grateful. But it is this relationship with them that then yields these acts of love. Do we love the things that Jesus does for us or do we love Jesus? Jesus had just fed them. And then the next day, they start to question him. 30, verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that is given me, but raise it up from the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all those who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Am I like the crowd who simply wanted my belly full? Or am I coming to him because he is bread to me? 
in the midst of our busy lives, in the midst of the pain that we encounter, and in the midst of the trials that we have, in the midst of the joys that we experience. Are we coming to Jesus for bread or because he is the bread? This is the first I am statement that we find in John. He's performed a number of miracles. People have seen him heal others. And he's fed the multitude when it seemed impossible. Jesus, who is going back to that Exodus statement and claiming, I am. A few chapters later, we'll see Jesus, who will proclaim more I am statements, and he will say, the thief will come to destroy. The thief will come to kill. And I am here to bring life and life abundantly. This is our Jesus, the one who wants us to experience life and relationship, the one who wants us to put him in our lives. Jesus, who wants to give us eternal life, who wants to change the way we see others, who wants to change the way we see the world, and to see the way that we interact with both. Friends, have you been blessed by the bread of life? Have you been changed because of your relationship with Jesus? Has he brought abundance to your life? Because if you answer no to any of those questions, then I beg you to discover this kind of Jesus, the one who wants to sustain every single aspect of your life, the one that has changed the way that I see people, the one that has taken me from a self-centered, prideful person. And maybe there are aspects of that that are still being worked on. So bear that with me. But that is the call that we have been given, to now look toward each other, outward-looking, serving each other, sacrificial relationships, and deeply connecting. This is the kind of Jesus that we pursue and that we are after, because we do not experience abundance in a vacuum. We do not experience an abundant life without rubbing shoulders with others. We share our blessing. We experience this when God speaks into our life, when God puts people to speak into our life, and when God uses us to speak into the lives of others. The way of Jesus is to be outward looking. The way of Jesus is to feed all, to sustain all. That is our Jesus. This is who we come to. And if we're struggling in the midst of that, then we need to spend more time here. We need to spend more time with each other. We need to spend more time working on this thing called abundant life with Christ. I ask the high schoolers what faith looks like all the time so that we never forget that there is an active part of this. What does it look like specifically when I'm doing this, when I'm experiencing that? Because the act of articulating what God is doing in our lives is powerful. That when we remember there is constant motion when God is involved is powerful. Last Sunday, I witnessed a number of people in this community share how Jesus has changed their life, and more specifically, even just in these past 10 weeks. There are people sitting in this space in and among us who have powerful testimonies of what Jesus is doing in their lives today. 
This Jesus is outward looking, sustaining all, and reaching out for everybody. This is the kind of Jesus that I hope each and every one of us gets to know. I'll invite the praise team back up. As each and every one of you claim the power that God is placing in your lives and in working in your lives, it is my prayer and it is my hope that this Jesus, this sustainer, this almighty reigning king is the one who you are sourcing your energy, your love, and your life from. Because this Jesus, who looks outward towards serving others and loving and extending a welcome, is going to change our world when we can grab hold of this message. So my friends, each and every day, may your daily bread start here, start with Jesus, and give you sustenance. Amen.